Welcome to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast, where you get help and guidance through the chaos of parenting a child with anxiety or OCD. This show is for educational purposes and is not intended to replace the guidance of a qualified professional. Here's your host, child therapist, Natasha Daniels. Well, hello there, and welcome to another episode of the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. Today, I want to add to your knowledge about OCD and the things that your child or teen or young adult should be doing or will be doing or can be doing in order to crush their OCD. And so this is just another therapeutic approach. And I think as parents, it's really important that we understand what these tools are, how they're being used, how to maximize them, and how to support our, ch- our children. But before we get started, I would like to thank NoCD for sponsoring this episode. NoCD offers affordable, effective, convenient therapy. They are available in the U.S. and outside of the U.S. And you can schedule your free 15-minute consultation to see if NoCD is the right fit for you and your child. Just go to treatmyocd.com. That's treatmyocd.com. I will leave a link in the show notes. Also, I want to let you know that in two days, my free series will start back by popular demand. I do it twice a year. It is by far my most popular series. Uh, It's survival tools for parents raising kids with anxiety or OCD. And I walk you through where to start with your child, regardless of where they're at. We'll kind of do a quiz and find out where you're at with your knowledge, where your child is at with motivation. And then I talk about that sweet spot of entry. So whether you have been in treatment for years and years and years, or whether you're new to it, we'll talk about where you need to put your attention, where you need to focus. And so I kind of create a roadmap throughout the series and talk about different ways to motivate our kids, communicate, build trust, and then actually do exposures and challenges and teach them how to face their anxiety or OCD. So always a great jump start for parents, no matter where you are at in your journey or how old your kids are, because it's for all ages, even if you have a child that's in your house who is a young adult. So you can sign up for that at atparentingsurvivalseries.com. That's atparentingsurvivalseries.com. Okay, let's dive into today's topic, which is what are imaginal scripts and what do they look like? What I want to go through today is I want you to have a full understanding of what they are, how they work. And then after the break, we're going to talk about the pitfalls of ways that it can be done that actually don't work effectively so that you can avoid them with your kids. I want to start with just saying that with OCD, our kids can't just be going into therapy and doing their own thing. They can't be completely autonomous with OCD. As parents, we have to be involved in their treatment. There are a lot of different therapies for for lots of different issues where parents really don't have to be overly involved. As a therapist, I used to be like a general therapist and There were certain reasons why kids were coming to see me that, I mean, I always loved parent involvement, but some parents didn't want to be involved. They would drop their kids off once they met me once, and I would never even see the parent. They would have their credit card on file, and the parent was MIA. And for those that were dealing with self-esteem issues or grief issues or peer issues, it wasn't ideal because you always want to work with the parent. But it wasn't going to make or break therapy. I could work with the child directly and I can make some progress. OCD? No. <laughs> you have to work with the whole family uh, because 
OCD, and I say this a lot, is a family affair. It hooks you in. It's counterintuitive. It rocks the boat for everybody in the family. And so you have to know, how do I interact with my child's OCD? When I say child, I mean teen or young adult as well. What, what's my role in it? How do I cheerlead them? How do I know what to look for? Now, I have some parents who take the steering wheel too hard. And so they, want, they feel like they're responsible for everything. So if their child is doing a compulsion, they need to like actively stop them from doing a compulsion or they need to know what to do because they're going to prompt their child to not do the compulsion. And so they are taking the full burden of the OCD journey. And they're also kind of robbing their kids inadvertently of the opportunity to develop independence and skills that will last them a lifetime. Because our goal as parents is to pull back systematically over time and let our kids develop their their lifestyle and their relationship with OCD. Because there has to be a lifestyle and relationship with OCD. OCD is, is a chronic condition. I know we never want to hear that. That's upsetting. But I think once we realize that and our kids realize that, we talk about it's something that has to be maintained. Progress has to be maintained. Little weeds need to be pulled so that big weeds don't grow. And a big part of that, in my opinion, and it was my opinion as a therapist and it's my opinion as a mom to kids with OCD myself, is that therapy is education. Therapy is helping me understand what my OCD is, helping me understand various OCD themes, even themes that are not mine so I know what to look for. Therapy is about teaching me how to interact with my OCD. It's teaching me how to spot when OCD is being sneaky and how do I handle an intrusive thought or an intrusive feeling that comes my way? How do I, and I, my language is offense and defense. That's kind of a, a, a me specific term that I use a lot as my analogy where I want to teach my kids defense where my kids know, okay, that OCD is knocking and OCD wants me to avoid eating this food or OCD wants me to over chew using my kids as an example. So am I going to do that? Or can I do something different? Can I ignore OCD? Or if I can't ignore it, can I delay it? Can I even recognize that it's OCD? So we talk a lot about defense. I actually have, I talk about that in my OCD course for kids and teens. And it's something that I teach. And that's how I teach kids and teens is thinking about offense and defense. And then offense is I'm going to go and poke OCD when OCD is not bothering me. Those are exposures. And we have a saying in my house, an exposure a day keeps OCD away. And it's true. And so we're always looking at how can we poke back at things. And we've kind of created, it's part of our family dynamic. And that is a key thing that I'm going to be teaching in my free series that's coming up, which is on May 4th of 2023. If you're listening to this in the future, it's not, it's not 2027, although I do it twice a year. So it could be, you don't know, but probably a different date. But I talk about how can you create a therapeutic home environment? How do you incorporate that into your life? And the reason why I'm spending all this time talking about this, because you might be like, get onto the imaginal scripts, Natasha. But I have to pump you up to make you realize that why you need to know these things. And so at my house, like OCD is just part of our family dynamic. And so we have built in things that we do around OCD. If my kid, like, I'll give you an example. My daughter the other day, actually yesterday, she said, mom, there's this new Harry Potter game coming out and I want to get it, but it's so expensive. And I said, we'll do exposures. And she said, well, that's going to take me forever. And I won't be. And I said, well, let's do the math. 
And we did the math. And I was like, in a week and a half, if you do an exposure every day, you can earn it. And she was like, that's not bad. And so in my house, if my kids want something, they know they're going to have to do exposures in order to get it. Even if their OCD is not um, front and center in the moment, there are always exposures that our kids can do. And so I've also you know, seen with my son, who's 13 now, that he's on his own journey. He'll He'll challenge his OCD. He'll do exposures for his OCD. He'll tell me when he has a new OCD theme. Um, he's really independent now at this point. And so I don't really have to babysit it too much. But my point is, related to imaginal scripts, is that eventually, in an ideal world, you move out of the therapy office and you take the skills that the therapist taught and you apply them on a daily, weekly, monthly basis. And your kids eventually adapt and apply them in their own life over time, and it becomes their thing, not your thing. And imaginal scripts can be a big component of that. And so there are different themes where imaginal scripts really help. And so I want to teach you about that because even if your child's not in therapy and you're doing a kind of a DYI, which I get a lot of parents have to do because it's survival, like there are not a lot of OCD child and adolescent therapists out there. And uh, it's just not as accessible as it should be. And so you might be taking one of my courses where I'm teaching you how to do exposures directly. You, your child might be taking my kid and teen course where they're learning directly how to do all the things that I teach in therapy. And so a lot of people are doing this themselves. And so I think it's important to understand fully what imaginal scripts are because it's another tool. So it's a type of exposure. And in a perfect world, we want to have real life exposures. We don't want them to be imaginal. If you're afraid you're going to be a bad person, um, we're going to come up with something where we can role play or we can do something or act it out or, you know, play go fish with like words or things that are upsetting to you. We're going to do those things, but imaginal scripts can be a good tool as well. So it's a little bit lower level, but I think it's a great place to start. And it's also a great thing to weave in. And so I want to talk to you about what those are. We know in therapy, we have to come up with fancy names for everything. We can't just call things like basic names. I have like, I I don't like that. I really don't like, I'll like a therapy approach, like ACT, for example, acceptance, commitment therapy. I like the concept of ACT, but it's so, it's so heavy with the verbiage and the particular like names of things. And I feel like, okay, I won't go on a soapbox about that, but I do feel like it separates people out. It, It makes it inaccessible because it's like, who knows what that means? You know, a touch point or a choice point, or, you know, it's like, can we come up with better things for that? But anyway, well, that's just my beef because I feel like we want to make things easy and accessible and understood. Imaginal scripts is just a story. That's, it should be called an imagination story. <laughs> that's what I would call it. My world would be very simple if I was the one creating things. And so it's basically just a story that triggers the OCD. I mean, that's, that is the, the simplistic way to put it, but how we create them and what, and how we use them, that's where, that's where the magic happens or the magic does not happen. And so that's the important thing. So I want to talk about how to create them and what they do. The idea is that OCD, unlike anxiety, so I wouldn't use imaginal scripts for anxiety. I would use it only for OCD, bombards kids with these intrusive thoughts over and over and over again. 
then it's like, what if this happens? Or what if you are this? What if you harm your parent? Or what if, you know, nothing is real, existential OCD? Or what if you throw up and nobody will ever talk to you again? Or what if you do something really bad? Or what if you've already done something really bad? What if you're canceled? What if you are racist? What if you are a horrible person, right? So OCD has many, many flavors, but the foundational idea is the same. An intrusive thought or feeling, right? It could be a feeling, oh my gosh, that's so disgusting or that doesn't feel complete. And then it's the compulsion I have to do or avoid something to get the brief relief, whether it's physical or mental, right? So avoidance is a compulsion. It can be your accommodation can be a compulsion when you answer something for your child that OCD wants to know. So that foundational aspect is the same. So when we create a story, it increases your child's stress level because it reads like it actually happened. And we'll go into kind of the way that that would look. So it reads like that actually happened. And for some kids, not all kids, some some people are like, it's a story. It doesn't bother me <laughs> because it's not real. Uh, other people, and not just kids, I mean, adults use imaginal scripts as well. Just the idea of it is so upsetting because they maybe they avoid thinking about it unless OCD makes them think about it, or maybe it's very detailed and so it's very upsetting. And so it can have a visceral response in the body. And what we're doing or what we're trying to do is to have that child learn how to wave, wave. What did I say? I was thinking of a wave and I'll tell you why. I was thinking of a wave in a second. Ride that wave so that they learn when I have these upsetting thoughts and it's coming from OCD, not an imaginal script, they can say, yep, I know how to ride this wave. It kind of reminds me, this is what I was thinking about. And that's why it's out of my mouth. Have you ever seen like waves simulators? And you might not have, but we were on a cruise once and actually the cruise had like a little area where it was like simulating waves and people were like, oh my gosh, I forgot the, what it was called. Surfing. <laughs> somebody needs another cup of coffee. This is embarrassing. Maybe I should pause and get another cup of coffee, but I will try to have a coherent sentence. And so it reminds me of that. It's like, okay, the ocean is real OCD. It's like the intrusive thoughts are coming and and they're knocking you off your feet and you're trying to navigate them, but it's tricky. And the simulator is like, here's a small little tiny wave and I'm going to learn how to ride it. And that's really what imaginal scripts are. Like, I'm going to learn how to ride this discomfort. I have more control. I'm the one creating this story. And I know, you know, it's a story, but it's going to create some sort of emotion with me that I'm going to ride without doing any of my compulsions. And so it is really just helping, you know, prepare them for those thoughts. And the more you can bombard your, your, your brain with the intrusive thoughts, the more you kind of go intrusive thought blind. You ever hear nose blind? Like something really stinks? You know, someone walks into the room, they're like, oh my gosh, what is that smell? And you're like, I don't smell anything. And you're like, is it me? I don't know. But you're nose blind because you've been in that room for so long that your brain is just like, you know what? Stop telling her about it because she's been sitting here for two hours and she obviously does not care. And so you might've smelled it initially, but after a while you go nose blind, right? Same thing with OCD. Like when you're constantly being bombarded because you're doing it on purpose, I'll use sticky notes and reminders, all sorts of things to just like, oh, here's that intrusive thought again. Here's that intrusive thought again. And eventually my brain is like, yeah, okay, we've already seen that, right? So you can go OCD blind in a, in a bit. It's not that it's not there, but it's like, it doesn't have that impact that it does when you're not building your 
OCD muscles at the OCD gym. (laughs) So imaginal scripts can be a nice component to that. So they would look different, obviously, depending on the theme. And you wouldn't want to mix themes. So let's say you have a child who has harm OCD themes. And don't get too wrapped up in their themes in that you only focus on moral OCD or you only focus on harm OCD. Kids will have multiple themes. They will morph. They will change over time. But the foundational skills and tools are the same. The imaginal script is an imaginal script. You're just going to pick a different theme. Oh, she's having moral OCD themes right now. That seems to be her biggest issue. Let's do an imaginal script about moral OCD. But so I wouldn't smush them together and be like, oh, you think you're a bad person. And then you walk over and you throw up on somebody and then you like hit somebody with a car. We're not going to combine all of their OCD themes. That's just way too much. I I typically just stay with the one theme that they are struggling with the most um, as a tool. Honestly, any, any weightlifting is good weightlifting, right? So, you know, when kids are doing exposures or they're kind of poking back at OCD, they're building those, those muscles and they're lifting weights. That's great. And so I'm okay with kids doing different exposures at different times with different themes, as long as it's something that bothers them and they want to kind of stay consistent with it to some degree to get some momentum, but stick with one theme. That would be my opinion. I like to really partner with the child or teenager and I like for them ideally to write it themselves, but sometimes kids aren't able to do that. So that's where therapy comes in. It models how to do these things and a great therapist will be slowly pulling back and having the child or teen do it themselves. So you might introduce the concept of an imaginal script as a tool, and then you might help them write it and you tweak it. And then the next time you do it, you have them write it, you know, and the next time you have them suggest that that's what they want to do. Like you're always pulling back a little bit to empower that child to learn these skills and to be, you know, the creator of their skills and drive that, which is really important. So In a perfect world, I would sit down with a child and I would say, okay, let's talk about what's the worst thing that can happen. I'm going to use moral moral OCD as an example first. I don't feel like imaginal scripts are as good for some themes. If you have a child with contamination and like things are just contaminated, like let's say like they're afraid of dust and they feel like dust is going to contaminate, you can't do an imaginal script with that. Or you can like have them close their eyes and imagine that like dust is everywhere. And so you can use that, but I feel like that's more of like a visual exposure and less of an imaginal script. I really like using imaginal scripts for moral OCD, existential OCD, harm OCD, even a metaphobia. Um, I think there can be really helpful for those type of sexual orientation OCD. Let me think about some of the other ones relationship OCD. I mean, we have names for these things, but really they're all OCD. So, but some of the more abstract ones, um, the sexually taboo themes that are related to moral OCD, imaginal scripts can be really helpful. In a second, I'm going to talk about how we can make imaginal scripts come alive because <laughs> I don't like it to be just like one dimensional. I will add layers to it where it really becomes more powerful, but we'll talk about that in a second. And so let's just take one for, you know, so I can walk you through it. Let's say we had a kid who had moral OCD and they're really worried that maybe, let me think of something, maybe they uh, accidentally cheated on their test, right? So let's just take that one. That's a common one that I've seen in my practice. So have a kid and they're like, oh my gosh, you know, they have moral OCD. And I think it's important also to mention, let me just kind of back up for a second, that if I have moral OCD themes, right, I might have three or four different themes at any given time, maybe two or three. Every kid's different. 
under that one main theme, I'm going to have lots of intrusive thoughts and lots of compulsions that all relate to me being a bad person, right? So maybe I'm worried that I cheated on a test and maybe I'm worried I said a bad word. Maybe I'm worried that I'm gossiping. Maybe I'm worried that um, I accidentally scratched your car. And so I have all these, but you can deduce from all of those that the core fear is like, I'm a bad person or I've done something wrong or I've done something bad, right? And the core core fear could be you're going to, you know, not love me or God will not love me. The rendition of what that core core fear is, is different for each kid depending on their belief system and what's scary to them. And so when we're doing exposures, we are, we're just tackling one little tentacle of the octopus. And so if I am doing moral OCD, I might just get a lot of information about the cheating one. And if that is the one that's like prominent, can't really go wrong with this. It's like whatever the person wants to work on. And I always like to say like, pick something that's really upsetting you more often than not the one, the thought that's really bothering you. And so let's say they're worried about cheating they might be worried about cheating in many different areas. That's a great one because it's like, they're confessing all the time that they think they looked at stuff or they have to read a book and they're worried that maybe they didn't fully read the book because you know, they don't want to be a liar. All right. So then you start to write a script about that. It's just a story. I write it in first person so that when they're reading it, it's not third person because it's much more, you say, I, I, you know, I went over here and I looked at the test and you really want to get the details about what's upsetting them. And you sit and you, you write together a story. Now I have done imaginal scripts with kids where I could really only do like two sentences and that was overwhelming for them. And so there are some kids who will be like, it doesn't bother me at all, no matter what. And I always like to say like, let's just try it for fun then if it won't bother you. And because sometimes that's an avoidant tactic. And a lot of times it doesn't bother them. They're like, it's a story. It doesn't bother me. And so that just, that tool just happens to not be an effective tool for them. There are many, many tools in the toolbox, so it's not a problem. But for a lot of kids, it's like too much. And they're like, I just can't handle that story. And so you start off very simple, not a lot of detail, just like once I went to school and I looked at the test and I saw the answers and I cheated, like super, super basic. And then you might be reading that every day just for a few minutes, you know, and that's the exposure. Like just read that, those two lines or those three lines every day. And then when that becomes like, whatever not a problem. It's like just doing my work, getting my points. I always like to offer bravery points. I think that helps motivate kids. Then you switch and you say, let's just change up the stories a little bit now. What, what information can we add? And so then we add some new information around that. And we might say, and this is the, this is the important part is getting them to tell you what the intrusive thoughts are, because when they tell you the details, they might say, oh, and I, I always worry that when I like pass my teacher's desk that I might've looked at um, the answers. So we're going to incorporate that into the story. Or I always worry when I go into the kitchen and I pass the knives that I might just grab one and I might accidentally stab the pet, right? We want to get the details of the intrusive thought because that makes it better. And so only kids have a front row seat to what's going on in their head. So those are things to think about. So I think it's obvious if you even change themes, what what it would be, right? Existential or harm or metaphobia, the fear of throwing up. It's like whatever, whatever, whatever intrusive thought is really bothering them. I was just thinking at the same time that I was trying to talk. So that did not go well. But when my like my daughter has sensory motor OCD issues. So my daughter has 
lots of things on her plate, but she's got sensory motor OCD issues. She has emetophobia, the fear of throwing up, and she has some moral OCD that has just popped up recently. I don't know why it's popped up in my son as well. And some death and dying, but I also think that's trauma from losing her dad. So we've got a lot going on with her. But the sensory motor OCD, I wouldn't do an imaginal script for that. Like she worries that she might have an accident and she worries that then nobody would be friends with her. And then it just becomes like she's hyper-focused on her bladder and she has to pee all the time until, you know, it's not a just right thing for her. It's more wrapped into her social anxiety because it's like a loss of control. So her fear of throwing up and her fear of having like an accident, which she never has had, are all, they're both related to the fear of lost control and people won't like her which kind of ties into social anxiety for her. I wouldn't really do an imaginal script. I could. I could do one where she has an accident and everyone laughs at her. But it was just more effective, you know, to have her like purposely not pee for a while. And so if your child has like disgust or where they're really grossed out by certain things or just right OCD or sensory motor, I I don't know if that would be my first thing to go to. Some therapists might have a different style about them. Those are not ones that I normally target with an imaginal script. There's other things that we can do that are physical that would be probably more effective. Imaginal scripts can be really helpful for these, like these philosophical ones, the moral, the existential, the harm. Emetophobia, maybe if I'm really worried. But again, there's so many concrete things I could do with emetophobia. I don't know if I would do an imaginal script. I might do an imaginal script as I'm doing a physical exposure. So if I'm having them pretend they're throwing up. I might do like imaginal script on top of that, or I've done imaginal scripts with emetophobia where I've done sound effects, you know, so they're listening to someone cough or someone throw up and I'm telling them a story. And so you can do layered exposures. I talk about layered exposures where, you know, you start off simple and then you add another dimension, whether it's a auditory component or a physical component or it's smell component, just something else that brings it alive can be very effective. But Start off with just a basic script and then you can add from there. So for example, I'm trying to think of how to, well, I think the emetophobia one kind of explains it. So, you know, like you can do layers. Let's, let's take another theme. Like if I had harm OCD, so I have had kids who, I had quite a few kids who've had harm OCD where they're afraid of knives. That's a kind of a common one. And they're worried they might stab someone they love or stab themselves. I've had that one as well. A harm OCD can go either way. And sometimes they're worried about it being intentional. Sometimes they're worried about it being unintentional, like something bad might happen to them. And so I might do an imaginal script, you know, that you stabbed yourself. And as we're doing the imaginal script, I might, you know, they might have a knife on their lap, depending on the child and what's going on, or a butter knife or a plastic knife. It doesn't even have to be. I had one child who was doing exposures and she was throwing knives at me, (laughs) but they were plastic knives. They were plastic, like butter knives. It was not, but it was, that was very, very hard for her because it was just the concept. It's not about the actual thing. It's about the idea of it. And so you can do a story and then do a physical exposure on top of it, or they're looking at something. I've also done that a lot where they're reading a story or I'm reading a story to them and they're looking at a picture or an image. And so, and that could be for, you know, a person's looking at a picture of a knife or they're looking at a picture holding and someone's holding a knife or a picture of them holding a knife as they're reading this story. Get creative. If you have a therapist, definitely partner with your therapist and tell them that you're, you know, you want to participate and you want to do these things at home and how can you help and let the therapist take the lead. 
I know a lot of you though, don't have a therapist and you're doing this on your own. And so it's good to teach you how to do these things in the right way. After the break, I'm going to talk about some pitfalls around this approach and some things to look out for. So it doesn't go south. (laughs) All right. We'll be right back. It's time we put help directly in our kids' hands. Introducing Crushing OCD Course for Kids and Teens. It was way more helpful than all the other therapy we've ever done because we didn't really know what to do. So we weren't really doing it before. So the course helped to figure out what the exposures are and how to do them. We're not in therapy and find it really hard um, to find an ERP trained therapist here. Um, So we're currently with like the public health service, but again, they don't seem to be trained in ERP. It's filled that gap that we don't have that was desperately needed. This was really well timed for us to use between therapists and to help us like start get off to a good start with this new practice. It was easy to use. Um, I was able to do it from my phone or also on the computer. There's different ages, you know, so there were younger kids, there were teenagers. And um, so that was really nice too, to have a variety of ages where it wasn't just geared towards younger kids or older kids. It was a nice variety. It's helpful for our kids to hear it from this like third party as opposed to just us saying it. I really like the offense and defense method. I love working on poking at OCD while it's sleeping. It makes it a little bit easier to do and it's kind of fun. (laughs) I'm planning on using it to work on my uh, fear of like holding or touching batteries and stuff like that. So it was really helpful and I think a lot of other kids would like it. I thought that I was like the only one who had worrying about the weather and stuff. And then there was somebody else on there who worried about the same thing, which was really helpful. Seems less scary to work on stuff now that I've watched this class and I'm more interested to work on it. I like trying to do more exposures still and going to, before I wasn't, I just didn't want to do them. I've worked on some of my bigger compulsions and been successful. I realized it was helpful to do like the exposures before it was like really, really hard. It's still hard, but it's helpful to know that I need to do them. Before there would be a lot of battles about it. So it is definitely less loggerheads. Really, really good course and super helpful. I definitely would recommend this. It's really easy to follow. It's nice bite-sized videos. I really like the worksheets that go along with it, and I think it's really helpful. To learn more about this course and register your child or teen, go to atparentingsurvivalschool.com. All right, welcome back. So let's just quickly go over some of the pitfalls that can happen with any therapeutic approach. There can be pitfalls or doing it in a way that's not really conducive for long-term success. When we do exposures in general, It's called ERP because it's exposure with response prevention. And so that RP, that response prevention is that your child or teen or young adult is not going to do a compulsion and that could be physical or mental or avoidant. And so it's not an exposure without that component. So if I, if somebody reads an imaginal script and then in their head afterwards, they say, that's not me. That's not who I am. I would never do that. Well, that's a mental compulsion and they just try to cancel out their exposure. And you're not privy to that because you can't be, you can't be everywhere. You're not in your child's head. And so you have to educate them on what mental compulsions are, what that would look like, um, what thoughts they can have when they're listening to the script, what thoughts they can have after the script that are helpful. And so, and this isn't about imaginal scripts, but I'll give you an example. 
I had kind of like, I had my go-to vomit pictures when I was in my private practice. And one of them was a runner and, and it, not to be graphic, but you know, it kind of looked like orange soda or something that she was spilling out of her mouth. (laughs) She was throwing up or whatever. It was just some random picture I found. And I had one girl who said, oh yeah, I can do that one. I just imagine that she's just spitting out like soda. And I said to her, well, that's not helpful because when you're telling yourself, that's not really throw up, that's just soda, you know, or this isn't really, this isn't really true. It's just a story. And you're not immersing yourself into the story. Then you're really not getting the power of what this is. It's like lifting weights, but then having like an automatic, like chain lifting it for you. So it looks like you're lifting it, but you're really not. So we want to make sure that we educate our kids on that because if they are undoing it in some way, one, they're not ready to do these type of exposures. And two, they're only hurting themselves. I, of, I often say to my kids for a whole bunch of different behaviors, I'll say, it's a boomerang. You're throwing it. And I normally talk about this when they're like vengeful. <laughs> I don't like my kids being like vengeful or if they lie, because I'm talking about like building their integrity. So this is something completely, maybe they have moral OCD because I'm always going on about lying. No, I'm just kidding. Nothing to do with me, but it's a boomerang. You know, and I say you throw it, you know, you're throwing it at someone because you're angry with them, but it's just coming back and it's going to hurt you. And I feel like it's the same thing when it comes to cheating themselves out of these fruitful exposures. It's like, it's a boomerang. It's the only thing that's going to happen. is going to come back and impact you because you're not going to be making a dent in your OCD. You're going to be wondering why you're going to think I do everything that I'm supposed to be doing and it's not working. Well, your intention isn't there. And that does make a difference. That could be a good video. Maybe I'll do a YouTube video on that. I like that. That'd be a good topic, right? Intention. Because if you're just white knuckling it, it doesn't work. Like you have to really be immersed in it. And you, by the way, can't do that for your kid because that has to come naturally. And that's why so much of our job is not about policing whether they do compulsions or not. So much of our job is helping them connect the dots to believe that they can do this and that that these skills, you know, helping them understand what these skills are doing. So using these metaphors and these analogies of like going to the OCD gym, lifting weights, you know, learning how to sit with discomfort by practicing. And so when OCD is throwing something at you, you've already lifted that weight. And so it's not going to feel as heavy as it would if you weren't lifting any weights. Like until they get that and they're motivated and they're like, yes, I don't want OCD to crush my, my world. And so I'm going to do this to upset OCD until they're, they have that intention. If you are more gung ho about it and they're just like white knuckling it so they can get that bravery point to earn whatever you're, you know, giving them, it's not going to be as effective. Now, what I found kind of just to contradict everything I just said, but you know, sometimes kids don't want to do exposures and then we can offer them bravery points and incentives to do things. And they wind up doing the exposure and then they realize, oh my gosh, I could do that. And that felt good. It felt good that I did something that OCD didn't like and I got through it. So sometimes it is nice just to get the ball rolling. But long-term, if I'm the one that's like rah, rah, cheering, um, you can crush OCD. And my child's like digging their heels in and they're white knuckling everything. It's not going to work long-term. And so our goal is to really focus on working on that education piece of like, exposing them to positive stories and things and the tools and how they work. All that education piece is really huge. Okay. I want to dive into some more pitfalls. And so one of them is that you stay with the same story for too long and it bores the brain. 
And so a lot of times people write this imaginal script and they'll read it over and over again. And they think they're kind of one and done. It's not like a dynamic moving document. It's just, here's a story. We're just going to read it over and over again. And so I don't know about you, but well, go back to the nose blind thing, right? They become immune to the story. And so then you need to add more details. And so recognizing that every few days you might have to change the details, get more and more specific or change the dynamic or have maybe five versions of the imaginal script and you kind of rotate them around. So your child doesn't know which one he's going to pick that day. You know, maybe I normally do imaginal scripts in a couple of different ways. Sometimes I have them record it and then listen to the recording. I find that that could be very powerful because they're not getting distracted by reading. And so they really have to immerse themselves more. Then I can show them a picture over time. I don't start with that, but over time I can add a picture or I like to use Newsmaker app that creates like a headline. And so it could be like world's biggest liar and you could put their picture in there. It just adds another dimension to the exposure. And so if they can listen to it through audio, that could be very helpful. I did have a girl once who actually liked acting and she acted out her imaginal script and she got really into it. She had props and all sorts of things. And she watched the movie version of it, which was even more powerful because she was getting a visual of what it would look like. It was, and she had harm OCD and it was her actually harming herself, but she did it kind of in a sarcastic kind of funny B movie type of way. Um, I don't know. She wanted to do it and I followed her lead and it was incredibly effective for her. And so think out of the box as far as how they will digest the imaginal script. Sometimes I have them write it down and they read it on their phone or they print it out and they read it. But the more we can remove the barrier of a piece of paper or a story and make it more visceral, the better. You can even have imaginal scripts with sound effects and all sorts of stuff if you want to get really fancy, depending on your, your skills or the kids' skills. And so we don't want it to bore the brain. So having different ones is really important. The next pitfall that I see a lot is sometimes you have an overzealous therapist or parent who writes the script for the person and they, they're making ups- uh, um, assumptions about what will upset them. And so you're like, oh, you're afraid of throw up. Okay, well, we'll just focus on, let me take another one. Oh, you're afraid of doorknobs and you're afraid of germs on the doorknobs. And so you're writing all this, this imaginal script about you're touching the doorknob and you get you know really sick and you get really upset and you're, you're adding all these details that maybe the child doesn't even have. Maybe they don't even worry about themselves getting sick. Maybe they're actually worried about getting you sick um, or their parents sick. And so they have harm OCD. And so really understanding the core fear in when we're developing exposures and imaginal scripts is really important because I want to get to the nitty gritty details. Going back to the, the girl that liked, who created a video for herself. Um, this was a very, very long time ago now, cause I'm feeling very old at this point, but she wrote her own script because when I was helping her write it, I was like, I thought it was like that she would hurt herself and her family would be very upset. And I thought that was the core fear. And she goes, no, no, I'm worried about the pain. And so I want to like write my imaginal script where like it hurts me really bad. And I'm like, oh, the pain. And so I would never have known that, you know, and, and, I, and I shouldn't assume that, right? So finding out exactly what those intrusive thoughts are and having them write it, like what would really upset your OCD? What else do you want to include that would really upset your OCD? What other thoughts does your OCD tell you about this 
that we can include in your story. Who's doing it? What's doing it? Where is it happening? Um, those kind of things. Sometimes kids won't know, and you can just leave it a little bit more ambiguous, but it could be helpful. Sometimes it can be harmful because, especially like in sexually taboo thoughts, we don't know what the child means when they say certain things. So you might have a child who says, I'm worried that I might have sex with my brother. You know, if, if the brain can think it, it will be an intrusive thought. And so I've seen kids with all sorts of sexually taboo intrusive thoughts because the more they learn, you know, the more the OCD can get creative. And so we can assume what that means, but they might have a totally different opinion of what that means. Maybe it just means that they're going to kiss or they might use the word rape and their idea of what rape is, is totally different. Or they might say, I'm, I'm going to look at private parts and what they deem private might be totally different. And so we have to be careful about not including facts that they don't know or understand. And that's not where they were going. So I don't want to add information that is not upsetting them uh, to fuel the fire, right? So I don't want to add things that, let's say they have harm OCD and they're worried about the knives. We'll just go back to that because it's easy to stay with the same examples. And we write imaginal script about, you know, them electrocuting their parents with the toaster accidentally, you know, or leaving something unplugged. And they hadn't thought of that. That wasn't one of the things they're worried about. That's not helpful, right? We just gave them new thoughts to worry about. And even though I talk about not walking on eggshells and like, you know, being afraid of talking about different themes, when we're creating an imaginal script, it needs to be very specific to their intrusive thoughts. In that realm, we definitely don't want to be introducing new concepts and themes that are not upsetting because that doesn't make any sense. (laughs) So I hope that this gives you a little bit of motivation and insight in creating imaginal scripts, or if your child is working on imaginal scripts and therapy, hopefully you're like, ah, I totally get that now. And I know how we can do it at home in a more conducive way. Because ultimately, our kids will not be in therapy. They're not going to live in therapy for the rest of their lives. They might get a tune up here and there, but they're going to come out of therapy and they're going to have to do these things on their own. It's not one and done. Our kids have to do exposures. They have to push back with OCD. They want to like poke at OCD periodically. And you don't want to stop doing these things just because you're not in therapy. Maintenance is really important. So I hope that you're finding my podcast helpful in general. I hope you join me in my free series that's starting in a few weeks, a few days, a few days, May 4th. Uh, You can join me at atparentingsurvivalseries.com. Uh, If you're enjoying the podcast, don't forget to hit a star on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever you consume your podcast and uh, rate it. That's greatly appreciated. If you have a few extra seconds and you can write a review, you know, I love that. And I'd like to show my gratitude by reading them. If I see any that are new, I try to catch them, but they, um, there is a website that actually captures all reviews. So hopefully I don't miss any. So I do want to thank Desert Dweller. I wonder if they live in Phoenix. Um, who wrote a review and they wrote so helpful. Natasha has been incredibly helpful navigating this new world of OCD with my teenage son. Her topics on the podcast are very broad yet appropriate for what we're dealing with. You can find information that you didn't even know was related to OCD. This has helped my family and me not feel so alone and lost in supporting and understanding someone with OCD. And I'm so glad to hear that. I'm so glad that I'm able to give you resources and information quickly and effectively so that you're able to help your kids. So thank you so much for taking the time to leave a review. You know, I greatly appreciate that. And maybe if you write a review, yes, you, I'm talking to you. 
maybe I'll be reading yours next time. So don't forget to find the sparkle in everything you do. And I'll talk to you again next Tuesday. Take care. Thank you for listening to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. To get additional support raising a child with anxiety or OCD, visit Natasha's online school of on-demand classes at atparentingsurvivalschool.com.